0: Welcome. You got what, 20 plus students? 24, all bright eyed, attentive. They get any extra credit for coming? Oh, that's reversible error. All right, well, welcome. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we've got two cases on today's oral argument docket. The first, 22 51046 USV Owens. Mr. Neal, podium is yours.
1: May it please the court in 2020 and 2021. This court addressed multiple actual methamphetamine cases coming out of the Midland division of the Western district of Texas. Rios baltazar led those cases in Rios baltazar The methamphetamine seized was not tested for its purity. Also, the defendant did not admit that his methamphetamine had a certain level of purity. This case is nearly identical to Rios Balthazar. Owens was uh, detained by law enforcement, and from him was seized 10 ounces of methamphetamine. The purity of that methamphetamine was never tested um, or determined. Owens, similarly, uh, made no statements about the purity of that methamphetamine. Owens was also held responsible for five pounds of methamphetamine uh, that were attributed to him based on the statement of his co-conspirator that he had participated uh, in the importation of that methamphetamine. But that methamphetamine was never seized, and therefore its purity also was never determined. Nonetheless, Owens's precedence report held him responsible for uh, 2.5 kilograms of actual methamphetamine, which increased his sentence by a little less than 2 year, uh, 10 years over what it would have otherwise been had he been sentenced based on uh, 2.5 kilograms of a mixture containing methamphetamine. Uh, after his direct appe- nonetheless his uh, his counsel did not raise the actual versus uh, mixture of methamphetamine issue. Uh, after his direct appeal Owens' challenge sought to vacate his sentence because his counsel's uh, performance was ineffective for failing to make that objection. In order to show that counsel's performance was ineffective, Owens was required to show that failure to make that objection fell below an objective standard of reasonableness. And he was also required to show that had the objection been made, there was a reasonable probability of a different result in this case.
2: The indictment that charged Owens was specific that it was actual meth instead of um, a mixture? And is that what he pled to?
1: Yes, Your Honor. The indictment alleged uh, actual methamphetamine more than 50 grams, and that is what he pleaded to.
2: And why does that not matter in terms of whether it was an was actual meth or a a mixture?
1: Because when he pleaded to the indictment, there was no explanation to him about what the fact that it is described in the indictment as actual methamphetamine meant, and there was no statement in the factual basis um, supporting the determination that it was actual methamphetamine. Um, If the factual basis had included, for example, information that the methamphetamine had a purity of greater than 80%, then that would be prejudicial uh, to Owens' argument here, but The mere fact that he pleaded guilty to actual methamphetamine is not determined, which is what this court ruled in uh, Rios Baltasar.
0: Okay, I I just may be asking the same question Judge Douglas did a different way, but why is there not enough uncontested evidence for the district court, uncontested information for the district court to conclude that these five pounds of meth were 98% pure
1: us exceeding,
0: exceeding the 1.5 kilograms of actual meth that's required to support the sentence.
1: So there was no evidence of what the 5 grams that Owens participated in importing, uh, what its purity was. The 98% figure comes from methamphetamine that was seized as part of a completely separate conspiracy. That 98 figure is testing meth that Owens was not held responsible for and that he was not... Linked to really in any way, um, that's what the government relies on to say uh, that uh, you know that we can find this other meth and determine that it's probative of Owens's methamphetamine. But the pre-sentence report doesn't contain any evidence to link Owens' methamphetamine to that other seized methamphetamine. Um, I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh, in a second. Um, but returning sort of, I initially want to spend a, a second addressing whether counsel's performance was deficient. The district court here did not seek to defend counsel's performance, did not cite a reason why, uh, why it was reasonable for counsel not to object to the actual methamphetamine determination. Instead, the district court said counsel's assistance may have fallen below an objective standard of reasonableness. The government doesn't seek to defend the assistance either. The government assumes the assistance fell below an objective standard on government's brief 10. And also, when Owens filed his motion to vacate the sentence for ineffective assistance of counsel, the uh, the government had an opportunity to introduce additional evidence that would give this court more confidence in the outcome to show that the methamphetamine that Owens was involved with was pure. For example, it could have introduced, it could have tested the methamphetamine that was seized from Owens. It could have indicated that it had evidence from a co-conspirator that the methamphetamine that Owens was held responsible for was, uh, you know, about. they could have uh, came from a particular source or was manufactured in a certain way or appeared um, to be uh, pure or was priced uh, consistent with um, pure methamphetamine, uh, but the government didn't introduce any evidence along those lines. Instead, the government only relied on what uh, the the methamphetamine that you're referring to, Judge Willett, um, this methamphetamine that was seized from a co-conspirator of Stowe, not Owens. The problem with the government's reliance on that methamphetamine is that the PSR, the precedence report, contained very little information about that methamphetamine or the conspiracy that it was part of, and what little information it did contain tends to indicate that it wasn't probative of the purity of Owens' methamphetamine. So from the report, what we know is that after Owens was arrested, um, his co-conspirator Stowe continued in the methamphetamine business uh, and formed a different conspiracy with at least one other person. Um, That one other person was arrested uh, 23 days after Owens' arrest, and methamphetamine was seized from that arrest. That's what the government relies on for the 98% figure. Um, it's not—it's questionable whether that methamphetamine was 98% or 78% pure, but I'm going to get to that argument in a second.
0: Let me let me ask you this: so, the PSR contains information that number one, Stowe—not your client—Stowe has a Mexican contact in Tijuana. Number two that Stowe obtained this 98% pure methamphetamine on November 28th from Tijuana. Number three, that Stowe and Owens obtained the five pounds of methamphetamine from Tijuana. Your client never presented any rebuttal evidence that that information was materially untrue. Am I right so far?
1: I have a little qualm with contact versus multiple contacts in Mexico, but otherwise, yes, I agree with everything. Okay, so that there
0: was said. no rebuttal evidence that the information was materially untrue. Correct. So in your view, why wouldn't, why couldn't the district court rely on this information to infer that Owen's five pounds of meth was from the same Tijuana contact and thus 98% pure.
1: So for a couple of reasons, um, first the statements that Stowe gives about the second batch of uh, methamphetamine that he acquires from Tijuana, the report says Stowe revealed he utilized an individual, not Owens's individual to find him methamphetamine. So the statement that Stowe is giving at least seems to say that this second trip or this second batch of methamphetamine came from an entirely different source. But also the whole paragraph, it's paragraph seven of the report, uh, record 242, see, you know, discusses him, uh, Stowe, gathering methamphetamine from different sources and having a contact who helps him source that methamphetamine from different people. So the idea that we can say the government wants to say that it came from the same source, it's not indication. There's not an indication that Owens's second batch of methamphetamine came from a single source. There's not an indication that that was the same source as uh, the methamphetamine that Owens was held responsible for in a in a prior trip.
0: Is um is that same PSR information that I just went over? Is that same PSR information? plus information that Stowe and Owens were co-conspirators. Is that sufficient for a district court to find that Owens, that that 10.6 ounces of meth was also 98% pure?
1: No, Your Honor. Um, And the reason is because they're from from completely separate conspiracies. Um, And... It's important to look at the cases that have kind of dealt with this issue about seeing whether outside of the conspiracy methamphetamine is prohibitive of inside uh, of, of the methamphetamine that a defendant is actually held responsible for. So in this court's decision in Davos-Cobion, the court, it was not, it was, the methamphetamine was seized from a conspirator not a co-conspirator of a co-conspirator, but a a conspirator. So there's only, in Davila's Cobian, there's only one level of removal. There, this court found error when the district court relied on methamphetamine seized from a conspirator to conclude what uh, the purity of the methamphetamine that the defendant in that case had supplied to his conspirator. But the even more appropriate case is the Seventh Circuit's decision in Carnell. In Carnell... Before
0: you go to that case, let me... So the one you just mentioned, um, Davalos.
1: Davalos-Cobion, that's my understanding. So
0: there we said the PSR did not contain sufficient evidence of reliability. Yes, sir. That tied the samples that were seized um, from a co-conspirator to the defendant, right? Yes. Um, Because the co-conspirator, there were other suppliers, and the purities of past samples might have varied. Um, here, unlike in that case, there's evidence of a common supplier and there's no evidence of unreliable or inconsistent metrics in determining purity. And I wonder why that isn't sufficient to distinguish that case.
1: So I, I disagree with the court's characterization of this case being from one supplier. Um, it's it, the, the reading of the... My reading of the PSR is that there were multiple sources in Mexico and that Stowe is admitted, is saying that he's using a different source of supply for this second conspiracy than Owens, than Owens is. Um, if it were the same source, that would be probative evidence. It would, there would still be the additional problem of showing that that, that source provides consistent levels of methamphetamine, um, and so I think the court's question goes to whether there's a certainty that Owens would have, been, would have prevailed rather than a reasonable probability of him prevailing. Um, but the other issue, Your Honor, is, you know, we're looking at one paragraph of the PSR, and we're trying to answer a question that the writer of the PSR was not trying to answer, right we 're trying to answer whether this other methamphetamine was probative from a different conspiracy was probative of the methamphetamine that Owens uh, possessed or was responsible for, and the reason why the PSR is silent on this issue is because owens 's counsel did not raise the issue, and so it seems like you know what the government 's argument is asking us to do. Is to sort of take this very textualist reading um, of a document that's not designed or written to answer the question we're trying to answer. So, happen to know what the
2: sentence would have been if an objection had been made and the court had allowed um, sustained the objection as to the purity.
1: It would have been the recommended sentence would have been two hundred and ten to two hundred and sixty-two months.
3: Let me ask you this uh, bottom line. Uh, is it because the record does not conclusively show that your client is entitled to no relief? Uh, was it error for the district court to deny his petition without an evidentiary hearing?
1: Your Honor, I think an evidentiary hearing would have helped here, um, especially because there is questions, uh, there are questions in the record about the 98% figure. Um, the, the record actually conflicts on this. The evidence that the government submitted uh, in response to the motion is a report that shows that 205 grams were tested, and 201 of those grams were, meth, were pure methamphetamine. The factual basis right at the time of the plea by the government said that 261.8 grams were seized from the unknown co-conspirator. And the PSR says that those, that the test resulted in 201.3 grams. So there's a, there's a 98% figure, but there's also a 78% figure.
0: The PSR says twice that Stowe has a contact singular um, or an individual singular who sources his his meth, why doesn't that provide some corroboration that we're talking about one source and not two?
1: So the the sentence your honor is referring to is Stowe reported he has a Mexican contact and a conspirator met the contacts in Tijuana during their trip. So we have one sentence and two characterizations of how many people he's dealing with. And that's why I think it's a mistake to rely conclusively on a report that's not designed to answer the question that we're dealing with. It gets into a certainty of success as opposed to a reasonable probability.
0: All right, Mr. O'Neill, we'll see you back on rebuttal. Thank you. All right, we'll now hear from the United States.
2: Please, the court Elizabeth Barringer for the United States. I just want to jump right into the defendant's claim that the PSR didn't support the purity finding. And first, I want to just talk about the burden in these proceedings. This is unlike the cases mentioned by the defendant, um, Rios Baltazar and Davalos cobian because this is a 2255 proceeding, the burden is flipped. It's not the government's burden to prove the purity at this point. It's the defendant's burden to prove that any ineffective assistance of counsel was prejudicial. So the notion of us coming up with evidence to prove purity at this point, that would be upending the burden. And there is evidence in the record um, to support the finding of actual math had the defendant's counsel objected. The bulk of methamphetamine, as we've talked about in this case, is from paragraph 7. It's Stowe's admission that he took these six trips to Tijuana. And I just want to rem- remind the court, Tijuana is not very close to Midland. So it's not Juarez. He's not going to Ciudad Acuna, which would be Mexico near Midland. He's going 1,000 miles away to Tijuana, which is south of San Diego. So there's evidence in the record that he's gone on these six trips to Tijuana. He has a contact there, and then he's bringing him back in a very similar pattern. There's evidence that Owens and Stowe were partners that they were jointly in this together there's um He said he had a contact there, and then one of the six trips of these six trips that we're talking about he went with Owens where they bring back the five pounds of methamphetamine that we're talking about today I'm and
3: correct that the, yes asserts that Stowe had one supplier in one place, but had multiple suppliers in the other. place.
2: I, I don't read the PSR the same way that the defendant did. When I read that, he says he utilizes another individual, not Owens' individual, to find him methamphetamine, and that sort of suggests that stowe has one line of distribution and owen may have another but they're still partners in this distribution scheme so i feel like the fact that owens may have other people bringing him methamphetamine isn't inconsistent with these six trips taken by stowe and the fact that owens it's a foreseeable um, outcome that 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 methamphetamine would keep coming what do you make of the difference between a reference to a contact single um, as opposed to contacts, plural. Yeah, I, I can't explain that. I, I don't understand why it says contact and contacts, but I don't know that that's important. I don't know that, so what we have here is we have, um, you know, of these six trips, we have Owens involved in one of those trips and we have a very similar trip in described in paragraph five, and that's really the only testing we have is this very similar trip, where the co-conspirator who stopped says he goes with to Tijuana with Stowe. They body carry pounds of methamphetamine back. Some are seized, some are not, and they get back. And the co-conspirators given just as in as Stowe was in the trip with Owens, the co-conspirators given payment of methamphetamine. So it's a very similar. Setup of going to tijuana and coming back and from that the court could plausibly conclude that these different trips that stowe is taking would have a similar level of purity in addition to the other evidence in the record they're just so similar um and it's also um you know this court has typically allowed if we're just looking at a a co-conspirator statement about these six trips and we're talking about one seizure, this court has allowed historical estimates based on that same evidence. We have Lucio, which is actually a published decision, which talks about Bettencourt, and both of those allow a co-conspirator's statements about drug type and quantity to be partially corroborated by a seizure. That's sort of similar in pattern. So this isn't off the course of what the court did. It's very consistent with this court's precedent of how a district court is given discretion to make reasonable estimates and extrapolations based on the evidence before it. And I I did want to briefly address um, the fact that we're talking about allegedly two different conspiracies. There's one conspiracy and the indictment, which you pointed out, I actually um, agree with you, Judge Douglas, that the fact that he admitted that he um, imported this methamphetamine, I know that was rejected in Rios Balthazar, but that's an unpublished decision and it's not precedent, That that is evidence that supports a district court finding that he admitted to a conspiracy that's distributing actual methamphetamine. But we're not just, um, he agreed that he he conspired with Owens, but he also agreed that he conspired with others. And there's other fingerprints in the, in the record in paragraphs three through seven of, um, Owens working with co-conspirators, calling them from his jail cell, trying to urge the conspiracy to keep going. He wasn't just talking to Stowe, and he wasn't just working with Stowe. He was working with members of the conspiracy. But when we're talking about sentencing, we're not talking about different conspiracies. We're talking about relevant conduct. And 1B, 1.3, says that a defendant is liable for all acts um, that are reasonably foreseeable and jointly undertaken activity from common um, common schemes or plans. So I think it was plausible for the court to conclude, conclude in this evidence that whatever was happening, was there an agreement that the quantity would not be attributed to him? Um, not even as relevant conduct? No, there was no agreement that he did dispute some of those facts on the factual basis of the change of plea, but it was just going to be resolved. He admitted to the over 50 grams of actual methamphetamine. And so this is what just a would, sentencing.
3: What would it hurt? To remand this for an evidentiary hearing as in Bartholomew, uh, since uh, uh, it doesn't show that Owens is entitled to no relief.
2: The defendant didn't object on the grounds that the district court didn't grant a hearing, um, given that it was his burden in 22. done
3: without an evidentiary
2: hearing, right? Well, hearings are not always required that that wasn't an issue that's raised on appeal I'm happy to brief that issue but the defendant just as the government was could have attached affidavits his own affidavit he could have attached something saying I got my methamphetamine from a different place we always cut it like this he could have attached co-conspirator statements so the court would have accepted these additional documentations so the court just felt like the defendant hadn't met his burden to show that any ineffective assistance of counsel was material. But I understand the court's concern. This is not the strongest case in the world. It's not. And just like Lucio, but does it satisfy the hurdle? Did the court do its job in making a reasonable estimate? I think under the case law, it it did. It did make a reasonable estimate, and particularly in light of the Strickland analysis.
0: It is true, right, that you know, some indicia of reliability. Um, we've interpreted that to mean that the district court, um, the facts relied on by the district court for sentencing purposes have to be reasonably reliable.
2: Yes. And there have been some guideposts and some guardrails put on there. I mean, I think these cases, Rios baltazar and Davilos Kovian were definitely outlier decisions um where there's one has absolutely nothing in the record it seems like it's unpublished so we don't really get to flesh that out and Davalos Cobian is just really a mess of an unreliable metric but that's not what we have here we have a co-conspirator statement that's partially corroborated by a seizure that supports what the co-conspirator had said and that's lucio that's a published decision finding that's enough that's enough to do it if we we can have these partially corroborated statements, and that gives enough evidence in the record to do that you know i I don't know maybe I don't know why the court didn't grant a hearing i I'm happy again to brief that issue. I know it's troubling whenever that happens, and that's that's the best answer I can give so um I also wanted to say that um, with regard to whether that conduct described in paragraph five can be attributed. Um, Owens, of course, as the PSR mentions, continues to just perpetuate and move this conspiracy forward even after his arrest. So it would probably be it would be reasonably foreseeable that a few weeks later, his partner in crime would go down to Tijuana following the same pattern that he'd been doing before. So it's all relevant conduct. Um, but even if it's not relevant conduct, that seizure with Stowe, as the common denominator, gives us a reliable metric to give some indicia of reliability from the pre-sentence report. So if there are no more further questions, I would cede the rest of my time to the court.
0: Ms. Barragut, thank you very much. Mr. O'Neill, welcome back. you got five minutes.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. Um, There were no statements by a co-conspirator about the purity of the methamphetamine that Mr. Owens was involved with. So this is completely distinct from Lucio. Um, And also, there were no calls to anyone other than Stowe. Owens called Stowe on November 5th and November 6th, the day of his arrest and the day after. This separate conspiracy, in which the methamphetamine is finally tested, is not uncovered. There's no evidence of existence prior to 23 days after Owens' arrest. Uh, And so the conspiracies are entirely separate. This was a uh, a two-person indictment in which Owens was indicted with Stowe for their conspiracy, and Owens was only held responsible for the products of that conspiracy. The government did not object, or uh, the PSR did not, and the PSR did not contemplate holding Owens responsible for the methamphetamine involved that was finally seized and and analyzed. So the government's argument that this was one conspiracy, the government forfeited that argument. They didn't object to the PSR. They didn't argue there should be more relevant conduct uh, attached to Mr. Owens. They didn't argue that the additional uh, methamphetamine that Stowe told them about um, was reasonably foreseeable to Owens at the district court. Um, they didn't appeal the district court's decision, so the argument that that was the part of the same conspiracy, they, they've they've given that up already. Um, on the issue of a hearing, uh, Owens did re- raise on page twenty nine of the opening brief uh, that the district court did not conduct a hearing, and that there is an evidentiary problem with the art with the with what the district court relied on because we have in a factual basis the government saying that. This outside of the conspiracy methamphetamine, when it was seized weighed two hundred and sixty one point eight grams, and when it was tested two hundred and one point three grams, which would yield a purity of seventy eight percent below the eighty percent threshold um, but then their report shows that the total meth weighed two hundred and five grams, and the pure and the pure meth weighed two hundred and one point three grams so there there was a issue with the district court's to determination that the methamphetamine that was outside of the conspiracy that the government relies on is 98% pure as opposed to 78% pure. And the district court did not hold a, hold a hearing to resolve that discrepancy. I, I do want to briefly talk about the seventh, decision, the seventh Circuit's decision in Carnell because I feel like the government's argument asked this court to split with that. Um, in Carnell, there was a much greater relationship between the defendant and the person who possessed the methamphetamine that was seized and te- tested. They were actually riding in the same car together. They were friends. There was some indication in the record that they might have previously, you know, d- done a methamphetamine deals together. The Seventh Circuit...
3: Am I correct that uh, the uh, purity conclusion in the November uh, twenty eight report differs from the indictment in the PSR?
1: So, the November twenty eighth report. I'm not. Is that the, the 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 methamphetamine that was seized on November twenty eighth?
3: Yeah. The, the uh, uh, doesn't that make the PSR ambiguous?
1: Yes, Your Honor. The PSR, read in light of the factual basis, is quite ambiguous. It seems to indicate that the methamphetamine seized on November twenty eighth was seventy eight percent pure. But then the DEA analysis that the government attached to its response to our motion said it was 98% pure. So it's your
3: position that that can only be cured with an evidentiary hearing?
1: I I think that that could only be cured by an evidentiary hearing. But you only get to that question if you reject my argument that the outside of this conspiracy methamphetamine was not probative of the methamphetamine that Owens was held responsible for which would mean you disagree with the Seventh Circuit's decision in Carnell, where they dealt with two people who knew each other and were friends um, and were actually in the same car when the tested methamphetamine was seized. That methamphetamine was not attributed to the defendant, and the Seventh Circuit said that the purity of that methamphetamine was not probative of the methamphetamine that the defendant was held responsible for.
0: What does reasonably reliable mean? So... Again, when we've talked about the phrase, you know, some indicia of reliability, as I mentioned to Ms. Berenger, and we've interpreted that phrase to recognize that facts used by the district court for sentencing purposes have to be reasonably reliable. And the prosecution, the government sort of says, yeah, this isn't the strongest case, not the most watertight case, but it's enough reasonably reliable.
1: So, Your Honor, it means that they, there has to be something in the PSR showing where the information comes from. So, we look at classic examples, right? You know, an officer uh, has said in his report, um, or something that the, the PSR writer used, um, we say officer statements are reliable, That um, we say co-conspirator statements are reliable, but there has to be something there. Here, there is nothing there. There is no statement of a co-conspirator. There is no officer's analysis. There is just the conclusory statement that th- he had actual methamphetamine, and there's nothing in a, nothing underlying that.
0: Okay, Mr. O'Neill, thank you very much. Am I correct? You were court-appointed. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, we appreciate your your able advocacy. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much. The case is submitted, and we'll give them time to.